The Hunt to Find Kaisha by Simon Buda. A cheeky grin and curly locks. She was the little girl whose disappearance shocked a community. But for two homicide detectives, it was a stubborn case they were determined to solve. The alarm was raised at precisely 10.03am on Sunday, August 1, 2010. Hi, I, I've just gotten up, the emotional woman told the emergency switchboard operator, and noticed that my front door was open and my daughter's not here. The woman continued sobbing. She's six. She's in her pyjamas. She's got blonde hair and blue eyes. As the operator dispatched police to the home, an apartment in Mount Druid on Sydney's far western outskirts, she gleaned further details. The little girl's name was Kaisha Whippard. The mother, Christy Abrahams, shared the apartment with her partner, Robert Smith. She told police how they'd put the little girl to bed in her own room at around 9.30 the previous evening. She described how they'd awoken around 12 hours later to discover the bedroom empty. It was as if she'd simply vanished into the night. Kaisha's disappearance sparked a massive search of the neighbourhood. By late afternoon, more than a hundred police officers and state emergency services volunteers were searching bushland, parkland and stormwater drains. Police in a helicopter scanned ponds and waterways, while teams with police dogs worked their way through backyards and streets for the tiniest clue. Community and media interest was intense. On Monday morning, they were still searching when Detective Inspector Russell Oxford, driving into work, caught a radio news report about Kaisha's disappearance. The circumstances mentioned in the bulletin seemed odd to Oxford, who was one of the most senior homicide investigators in the New South Wales Police Force. At the homicide squad offices, Oxford briefed the squad commander and within the hour Oxford and Detective Sergeant Andrew Marks were on their way to Mount Druitt Police Station. A task force was formed to investigate the case. The detectives, both regarded as quiet achievers within the squad, started by combing through the available details. Abrahams and Smith's accounts matched, but the evidence seemed at odds with their story. Uniformed officers who first attended the apartment had noted the neatness of the little girl's bed. The covers had been folded back and the pillow had been puffed out. It didn't appear to have been slept in or had been remade before the first police officers arrived. The front door was a heavy fire door, which Abrahams had told police was ajar when she woke up. That didn't seem right. It was the type of door that closes automatically. The two detectives couldn't see any evidence of a forced entry, but the door handle and deadlock seemed faulty. The detectives themselves had difficulty manipulating the two locks and wondered how a six-year-old girl could manage this by herself. Believing that it was unlikely Kaisha had prized open the door herself, Oxford and Marks turned to the theory that a stranger had abducted her from her bed. But there were no signs anywhere of a break-in, nor were there any other obvious signs of an intruder. If she'd been alive or conscious when taken out of the apartment, the detectives tried to imagine how an abductor could possibly hold the child in his or her arms while at the same time muffling the young girl's screams and then use two hands to manipulate the two locks on the door. It didn't add up. Without further evidence, however, the police had no option but to go along with the couple's account while continuing their own investigation. As the hours passed, police interviewed and re-interviewed the couple, looking for further clues as to what had happened to Kaisha or for discrepancies in their story. There were three clear options. 
an intruder broke in and abducted the young child, Kaisha wandered off herself, or lastly, something happened to this little girl within the apartment. As the detectives interviewed her, Abraham's character soon became all too obvious. Physically, she appeared to be a hard woman, stony-faced. Even in family photos, she rarely appeared to smile. And as they went over the events of the weekend, Oxford found her manner aggressive and self-centred. She took the detective's probing as a direct attack on her parenting skills. And when confronted about blood that scientific officers had detected in the unit, Abrahams reacted angrily. I don't know. What are you trying to say? After two days, the policemen played a crucial investigative card. They asked the couple to front a media conference. Oxford told the pair that appealing to the public would help the hunt progress. Abrahams was reluctant, but Oxford persisted. He knew that an appeal from the couple could bring new information to light and also give investigators a chance to gauge the pair's credibility. So two days after they'd reported the little girl missing, Kaisha's mother and her stepfather faced the cameras. Oxford stood nearby, trying to read the couple's body language and intent on hearing every word they uttered. If there's anyone out there that knows or seen anything, just come forward, contact the police, it would really help, Smith said, surrounded by the media. Seemingly too emotional to speak, Abraham sobbed. Sunglasses covered her eyes and a tissue covered her face. Someone must know something, Smith continued. Please come forward. She's beautiful, you know. Funny, always happy. Can't describe how it's been. You don't know until you put yourself in my shoes. Just hope that she's found as soon as possible. It's what we need, safe and well. She was always happy, bubbly, you know, loved playing just like any kid would. She was always happy? Oxford was stunned. Who speaks about their missing child in the past tense, he wondered, unless they know for certain that she's never coming back. A reporter asked, Do you have any idea that anyone you might know who may have her? The family must have thought long and hard about this. Does anyone have any idea? We have no idea, Smith replied. If I had any idea, mate, we'd be there looking. From this point on, Oxford and Marks were all but certain this was a Crocodile Tears interview and that Christy Abrahams and Robert Smith had become murder inquiry suspects number one and number two. The two detectives believed there was sufficient evidence to prosecute Abrahams and Smith for Kaisha's murder, but they needed to recover the little girl's body to ensure the pair couldn't offer up any other explanation about Kaisha's disappearance strong enough to convince a jury. Meanwhile, media and public interest in every aspect of the case was growing in intensity, and the police officers knew everything they did, or didn't do, was under the microscope. The community demanded answers, but for now those answers weren't forthcoming. Oxford and Marx resolved to remain tight. They knew all it would take was a little luck to turn things their way. Detectives set about checking the pair's movements in late July. They garnered details of credit card transactions and phone records and gradually pieced together where they had been and what they had been doing. Trying to trace Kaisha's movements, or that of any young child, is difficult given that they don't have credit cards, bank accounts or phones to monitor. However, a startling picture emerged when they checked with local school records. Kaisha hardly ever attended. In fact, she had only been to school on four days that year. She had also not been seen by a single independent witness for three weeks prior to her mother calling emergency services. But neither Abrahams nor Smith drove, and so the detectives were perplexed. 
If the couple had killed her sometime since she had last been seen in their home, then how did they get her body out of the apartment to dispose of it? One chillingly grim possibility arose. Perhaps this little girl had simply been thrown away with the rubbish. That led a team of task force detectives to visit the local tip at Marsden Park to determine if a search was feasible. Given that Kaisha could have been dumped any time in the three weeks before the emergency call, they quickly realised they were facing a mammoth task. Rubbish came in from a wide catchment area and was continually compacted. Even if police worked three or four teams in ten-hour shifts, it could take them months and months to search the garbage, and there was no guarantee of success. There were stronger leads to follow. In the weeks after Kaisha's disappearance, and blaming the media scrutiny that followed, Abrahams and Smith decided to move into a motel away from the apartment. They had unwittingly given police a breakthrough opportunity. With the unit empty, officers from the forensic division systematically searched it for clues and seized several items, including the girls' mattress, bedding and carpet for further testing. Meanwhile, other police installed a listening device so that the couple's conversations could be monitored when they returned. Laboratory reports showed traces of Kaisha's blood throughout the unit, as well as teeth marks in the wooden frame of her bed. Further chilling evidence came two days later, when the couple walked back in. It took only minutes before police heard Abraham's first few words. They've taken her mattress. They'll only find her piss and shit on it. It was a cold, emotionless statement, supposedly from a distraught mother. From the apartment, the couple shifted to a government-subsidised house. The police had lawfully bugged this as well. And so for the next eight months, a covert police listening post heard every word uttered by the suspects. For the police team, it was harrowing and emotional work, but still they did not have the breakthrough that would guarantee a murder conviction. In December 2010, four months after Kaisha was reported missing, Oxford and Marks hatched a new plan to try to break the case. Undercover operatives would try to gain the couple's confidence, hoping that as they won over their trust, the pair's guard would drop and they'd eventually say or do something that would give police what they needed. Day after day, week after week, the operatives wormed their way into the couple's lives, targeting who they believed to be the weaker link, Smith. Chance meetings, random conversations, and slowly Smith looked upon these newfound friends as trustworthy. They convinced him that they could help him build a better life, and pandered to his ego, encouraging him to think he could become an important person. It all came to a head on the night of April 21, 2011, when Abrahams and Smith met with the undercover agents at a hotel in the centre of Sydney. Unbeknownst to them, every word was being monitored and recorded. Eventually, the operatives asked if there was anything in the couple's past that they needed to tell their new friends about. It was crucial, they explained, that the pair was honest, otherwise the promise of a new future could not be achieved. Breathlessly, Oxford and Marks, watching and listening in the next room, waited for what they hoped would be the final move in this game of chess. And just as they hoped, Abrahams opened up, revealing how her little girl had died. She explained that about two weeks before Kaisha was reported missing, she'd been in the child's bedroom where Kaisha was crying. She wanted her daughter to put on her pyjamas, she said, and gave her a little nudge with her foot. Kaisha jumped and hit her head on the bottom of the bed, she said, and then Kaisha went funny. Abrahams placed Kaisha in the shower in an effort to wake her up, she explained, 
but Kaisha felt like jelly. Abrahams and Smith put the little girl on a fold-out bed and went to sleep. When they awoke, they found Kaisha was no longer breathing. The undercover operatives listened as she explained how she and Smith got a suitcase from their garage, placed Kaisha's body inside and put it in a wardrobe in the child's bedroom. It would stay there for several days. Smith rode his bicycle around the area to find a burial site in bushland. Then, at about 5am on Sunday, July 18, they called a taxi, using a false name and address, and directed the driver to the remote site chosen by Smith. Using a hammer, Smith dug a shallow hole, tipped Kaisha's body out of the suitcase, poured petrol over her and set her alight. The investigators had enough to arrest them, but they wanted the couple to lead them to where Kaisha's remains could be found, putting their guilt beyond doubt. As parents, both Oxford and Marx felt a responsibility to find this little girl and bring her back from where she had been so callously left. By now, Abrahams and Smith had confided all to their trusted friends, and with nothing left to hide, and possibly eager to prove the almost unbelievable story they had just recounted was indeed true, the couple agreed to take the operatives to the burial site that night. Oxford and Marx followed at a safe distance. At 1.12am on April 22, after leading the undercover agents to the shallow grave, Abrahams and Smith emerged from the hauntingly lonely piece of scrub in Freya Crescent at Shalvey to be met by Oxford and Marx. The hunt was over. They were under arrest. The couple was taken to Mount Druitt Police Station and formally charged with Kaisha's murder. It would have been her seventh birthday. Forensic investigators found skeletal remains, teeth and fragments of hair in the dirt. Teeth fractures were found to have occurred at or near the time of death. There was also evidence of bone injuries dating from her final weeks and months. Supreme Court Justice Ian Harrison declared as he locked away Christy Abrahams for up to 22 years, in a civilised community, it is distressing even to consider that a mother could rationally formulate any possible reason for killing her child. In jailing Robert Smith for at least 12 years, Justice Megan Latham was scathing of his cowardly choice to protect his own interests. This helpless and vulnerable child depended for survival as much on the person who stood by and did nothing as upon the person who assaulted her, she said. For Andrew Marks and Russell Oxford, arresting Abrahams and Smith is a day they will never forget. This investigation touched at the heartstrings because we are all parents, Oxford says, now knowing that justice has been done. It was simply the case that we never wanted to give up on. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia, 